just want to read a few verses, then by God's help, I'm going to tie together some things out of them. Acts chapter 1, please. I like to read verse 1 through 3. And Luke says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. That verse is a summary of the Gospel of Luke. It's what his first word treatise here is the Greek word logos, translated word, and the beginning was the word, the logos. And, and Luke says, My former logos that I gave to you, Theophilus, was about what Jesus began to do and preach or teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, particularly this phrase, note it, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then I'd like you to go to chapter 2, and I'd like to read the first four verses there. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Hmm. You're glad you didn't miss that service, huh? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them Utterance. Hallelujah. Woo. Can you say amen to God's word? You may be seated this morning. I would like to talk to you this morning about Pentecostal elements. Pentecostal elements. There are three elements that I wish that are revealed to us in this passage the verses that I read to you that I'd like to emphasize. There is, number one, the gospel element. Secondly, the kingdom element. And thirdly, what I will call the radical element. So if God's help, let me see if I can bring some things home to us this morning and emphasize. We, as Pentecostals, hold a unique place in Christendom. Even more so by the standard by which we hold, WPC holds a very unique place. Very unique place. We have a unique name. To my knowledge, there is no other organization in all of the earth who has the name Wesleyan Pentecostal Churches. We are the only group that holds that name, to my knowledge. And uh, what God has been doing this week has been in what even before camp meeting in this local church emphasizing to us our need to be filled with the Spirit. We must not let that leave us. We must not let that leave us. If you've been filled this week, you've just started your journey. And if you haven't, keep pushing. Till you get where you need to be. But God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And we need this church. Every WPC church needs all of its members full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We don't want to be a church where 50% operate in the power of the Spirit. And the other 50% in the flesh. We don't want to be something where we're 40% Pentecostal. And so that our... We're Pentecostal in name only. We want to be Pentecostal in experience, not just in name. Oh, glory to God. And so I, I, want, to, I want to share with you this morning that there are some 
some things, some elements about Pentecost that I think have been left aside, that have been somewhat forgotten. And it's, it's, there's, there's so much ground here to cover this morning, it's sometimes a little difficult to narrow myself down, but I want to try to do that by God's help. Taking in these verses of Scripture, I want to talk about this first element, and it's the element, what I'll call the gospel element. Luke, by this very first verse that he writes, and he said, the former treatise which I have made or which have I made unto thee, O Theophilus, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. By that statement, Luke will tie the book that he's about to write, the stories that's about to unfold, and the inspired word that's about to go to paper in order to become a part of the inspired canon that you and I will read 2,000 years later or thereabouts is going to connect it intimately and absolutely necessarily to the Gospels. So that in other words, Luke without Acts is incomplete. And a gospel message that fails to include the Pentecostal experience as it was known on the day of Pentecost is a gospel message that is incomplete. When the Pentecost began to be preached across this nation, it was not seen as uh, something that became a mere optional aspect or, or, or something that just simply was given to identify some sect or some uh, 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 part of Christendom, but they begin to call it the full gospel. They did not come along and deny what had been preached. They did not annihilate what had been preached. They did not get rid of what had been preached. Something about the Pentecostal experience that many non-Pentecostals fail to recognize is that the true Pentecostal teaching and message did not deny the deity of Christ. It did not deny the Trinity of God. It did not deny the veracity of the name of Jesus. It did not deny the resurrection, the, the crucifixion, the virgin birth, the sinless life. All of those fundamental doctrines of, of Christendom that were, were attributed to orthodoxy. That which was would say that this is what it takes to be an orthodox, orthodox Christian. True Pentecostalism did not deny any of that. We didn't push it aside. We didn't try to do something knew what we did was recognize that the message had been incomplete that since the Protestant Reformation the Protestant Reformation had brought us out of the dark ages where we had left off faith where we had left off many of the things that are found in Christendom and such a corruption had invaded the church that it was just about unrecognizable and that the church had arrived at a place that when you read the Bible when you read the book of Acts and what the first church looked like. The Catholic church of that hour looked almost nothing like what was found in the word of God. And so the preachers begin to preach and the teachers begin to teach. The plowman it became a real problem for many because uh, whenever the Bible was placed uh, in the hands of common men, they took it uh, and they read it uh, and the church got upset because there are men preaching without official sanction. Uh, there are men preaching uh, and they haven't went through uh, all of the uh, 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 things and processes uh, that the Catholic church wants them to go through. Uh, they just read the Bible, got anointed of God uh, and preached the gospel and shared the message. Uh, but it would seem that it would take time uh, it would first be justification by faith. Uh, and that would come to the place uh, that by the 18th century, it was dying down. Uh, and then the 1700s, men like Wesley will come along and revive uh, that doctrine uh, and take it a step further and say, uh, it isn't just being saved uh, and regenerated. Uh, there's an experience of sanctification uh, whereby a man uh, may be liberated uh, from the law of sin and death. Uh, he can be made perfect in love uh, and he can live a life 
that pleases God. He can have a heart that is not a heart that is constantly being torn by sin, but his heart can be made perfect before God, pure, double-mindedness laid aside, and a man absolutely devoted to the purpose and the cause of God. And then would come the time into the end of the 19th centuries and into the 20th century that began to be an outpouring. It was spotty up until the end of the 19th century. In the 1800s, it was spotty, but things then began to pick up. And there were people that were in the churches that were just hungry because the message of holiness had begun to die. They had had the message of justification. They'd had the message of sanctification. But the churches were dying. There was death everywhere. There was stagnancy. There was complacency. And the, and the mainline churches uh, were, were taking on more of the world uh, than they were of Jesus Christ. Uh, and where was the fire? And so always, glory to God, God doesn't leave us alone. Uh, in the middle of that stagnancy, uh, in the middle of that complacency, God finds some folks uh, who says, I want something real. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to this than religious practice. There's got to be more than ceremony. There's got to be more than going to church twice a week and two days a week and then going about and trying to live just some moral life and being a good neighbor and a good citizen. There's got to be some power. There's got to be some life. There's got to be something more. And God across the world began to pour his spirit out in a mighty wave across the in the Azusa Street as we're well aware of in the year 1906 prior to that the spirit of God was moving but that became the, the event that kind of earmarked the movement in America the year prior to that in 1905 in the Welsh revival that was going on in, 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 in the England and Britain it was a, a move of God unprecedented and a powerful thing it was as if they had a, 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 what was his name G. Campbell Morgan would state that there were uh, uh, no organs, uh, there were no instruments, uh, but there was all kind of singing. Uh, there was even no preachers, uh, but everybody was preaching. Uh, it just seemed like uh, God had hidden away names. Uh, God had hidden away uh, these great personalities. Uh, although I know Evan Roberts was there uh, and he became a name that emerged, uh, but it seemed everywhere you went, uh, God's fire was touching lives. Uh, and then a year later, in April the 9th of 1906, uh, in Los Angeles, California on Bonnie Bray Street. Uh, there was some men uh, who had gathered a black man uh, uh, by the name of Seymour, a black man who had been there seeking God with others uh, and the spirit of God fell and all of a sudden they begin to speak uh, in other tongues and the spirit of God gave the utterance uh, and the move of God come across this country and I'm telling you when it happened uh, they didn't see themselves uh, as throwing away the message uh, of orthodoxy. They saw a completion. Something has happened and now we're starting to look like the book of Acts says the church ought to look like. Two things in that I want you to see in this verse. Two things about this gospel element. Number one, completion. Number two, continuation. Completion and continuation. He said that all that Jesus began to do and teach that it was number one that when Luke is going to write this, as I've stated, this is going to be in the words of a well-known storyteller we know by the name of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. There's more to the story than Luke's gospel, chapter 1 through chapter 24. There's more to it than the death and resurrection. There's more to it than even the ascension. He didn't go and ascend to the right hand of God and sit down and drink a glass of lemonade and say, isn't it good? I got it made now. He went to the right hand of God and went to work. He went to the right hand of God and went to governing. And he began and his first administrative act is to send the Holy Ghost uh, and birth the church uh, and fulfill his promise uh, and upon this rock uh, I'll build my church uh, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, I'm telling you uh, that now Acts uh, is going to give us the rest of the story and I submit to you without the book of Acts, uh, Luke is incomplete. Uh, I submit to you without the church, uh, the work of Christ is undone uh, and I submit to you that a gospel message uh, that fails to include uh, the baptism 
baptism of the Holy Ghost is a deficient gospel. It is a gospel that is not telling the whole story. I submit to you that your salvation experience, if it lacks the fullness and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, is incomplete. Doesn't make you less of a Christian. I'm just telling you it's incomplete. How many of you understand that you can actually drive a car with a flat tire? You can do it. There's enough power in the motor. You can do it, but how many of you know it's not the way cars are meant to be driven? After a while, if you're not careful, you're going to tear something up and you're going to have a bumpy ride. I'm telling you, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be noisy and it's going to be difficult for you. Yes, I will tell you the churches in many areas kind of hobbled along and there's some things that have been done, but that's not how God intended for it to work. God intended for his church to operate in the power of the spirit, the cross, the crucifixion and the resurrection there to lead us somewhere. That church has got to be birthed and that church was birthed not at Calvary but on Pentecost. The church was not birthed on a hillside somewhere just having some people who are going to commit themselves to living right. It was birthed in a place where the Holy Ghost fell upon them and baptized them and brought them into the body of Jesus Christ and forged them into one and it became the starting place of the church. We have divorced Calvary from Pentecost in many ways, and I'm not going through all that today. But I am telling you that there is a connection. It's seen even in the types. When you look at the types, the Calvary experience was a, uh, uh, done at Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This became the feast in the Old Testament that typified the Golgotha occurrence and the Calvary event. It was there when Christ died. He died at Passover and became the lamb that takes away, whose blood would take away the sin of the world. He was offered up there as our Passover and by Calvary we are brought out of Egypt glory to God we have been saved from the angel of death and we are able to partake of the glorious salvation and liberty of Jesus Christ and what a wonderful experience it is that there at Calvary the blood can purge us of our sin and liberate us from our habits and liberate us from our addictions so that we can when the son makes free is free indeed but Calvary was tied to our Passover was tied to another feast. It was based upon the occurrence of that feast. You will number seven Sabbaths and there will be 50 days and the day after that Sabbath, seven Sabbaths or seven weeks will be 49 days and the day after that would be the day of Pentecost. Passover would celebrate the beginning of the barley harvest while Pentecost would separate the end of that harvest and the start of another, the start of the wheat harvest. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you take Pentecost and you don't have a Passover, you can't have a Pentecost. Passover is the starting place. Passover sets the date in which you've come out of Egypt, the date in which you have been covered by the blood. But then you number. There's going to be seven weeks. And then after that's coming a day. It's just one day. But what a glorious day it is. And it lets you know harvest isn't over. It's just just going to a new crop. Glory to the Lamb of God. And without Passover, or without Passover, Pentecost cannot occur. There's nothing to count it, nothing to measure it by. We have folks who want to send, emphasize Passover. And forget Pentecost. And then we got folks who want to emphasize Pentecost and forget Passover. (laughs) You can't get to Pentecost until you've went by Calvary. You understand that? That place of the skull. That's what it was. 
It was called that. It was said because there were so many dead bodies there and the bones that were coming up out of the ground and around there, the skulls that would lay there constantly, bodies having been buried or burned or whatever they would have done with them. It was a place of death. It was a stench. It was a stink. It was no doubt an eyesore, but it's there on that hill that our Lord died for us and paved a way so that we could become the temple of God so that he could fill us up. He didn't stop at Calvary. He didn't stop at the resurrection. He didn't stop by just ascending. He said, now it's time to put all this to work and put it all to action. And he sends the agent of the Holy Ghost to fill his people and birth his church. Passover is preparation for Pentecost. Again, there's so much to preach. I don't want to highlight this a little bit. There's this continuation. Notice what he says. Of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now I want you to notice the order of that. Let's not gloss over that. How words are arranged in scripture matter. Matters. He didn't say of all Jesus began to teach and do. He said of all Jesus began to do and teach. There's practice and philosophy. The practical and the philosophical. But what comes first is practice. You have no authority to teach until you first lived. You might have a full head, but if you've got an empty heart, your teachings have no value. You may have a doctrinally correct head, but if you've got a doctrinally corrupt heart, your teaching is of no value. No, sir. Can I tell you for 30 years he did before he ever taught, before he ever went out and shared his doctrine. He's got a record. Hallelujah. He's got a track record. He's got a history. And it's not one that's littered with a closet full of skeletons. It's not one that's littered with the failures and problems and difficulties. No, we hear the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. When he marches out on the scene to give his first message and the preach the first truth he can let them know that what he is preaching he's lived what he's going to spouse he's lived he is going to be filled with the spirit he is going to live righteous he is going to have the witness of the father of the spirit of John the Baptist and let the world know this man practices what he preaches this man's got a message and it is not just simply words falling from his lips but it's the power of a life that is in conformity and a demonstration of the message that is being preached. Glory to God. You must first learn to do before you ever learn to teach. You must first learn to be before you can ever learn to do, before you can go out and have a message that is worthwhile. You need a heart that's pure. You need a record that's right. You need a testimony that's true so that the world can see we're not a bunch of hypocrites. We're people who live what we preach. Glory to the love of God. Hallelujah. I know we've had our bumps and our bruises. I know we've had our faults and our failures, but let's not blame them on Christ. Let's get back to this message of Pentecost. Let's get back to this message that'll take Calvary and make it real in our hearts. That'll take Calvary and apply it to us again. The gospel didn't end at the cross. It began at Pentecost. Somewhere, there has to become in us a reality, a conviction. And you listen to me real careful. And I'm going to tell you something right here. You young folks right here sitting on this front row, all back through this church. How many of you young people look at me right here, every one of you? You got enough sense to hear and understand my words. I want you to look at me right now. I want you to raise your hand if you've been raised in church. You have Christian parents and you've been raised in church. 
I want you to raise your hand. Okay. You see this? I'm going to talk to you just for a moment, all right? I'm talking to you. I can raise my hand. My daddy and mama were a sinner when I was born, but I don't remember it. They got saved when I was so young that I don't remember my mother and father being sinners. I've heard them tell the stories, but I have no memory of that. I was effectively raised in church all my life, and I, my daddy actually pastored two churches at one time. I actually felt like I lived in church. And uh, I, like normal children, I suppose, I got tired of going to church. And, you know, I like to have an evening off once in a while. And, and it's amazing that now that I'm preaching, I stay in church all the time. <laughs> amazing. And I want to tell you something right now. I've watched this happen across the holiness movement. I've watched it happen in churches time and time again. I've watched it happen even among those whom I've known and, and, and folks that I grew up with. You see, when you grow up in a culture, when you grow up in an atmosphere, in your home, certain things are required. Your mom and dad will require a certain conduct. You go to a church and people live a certain way. There's a dress code. There's a conduct code. And there's a, there's a culture that, that arises in a church because this is a society, all right? It's a living organism, but we're a culture. We got a way we live. We got a way we talk. We got a way we do things. We got a way we converse. We got a way that we deal with our businesses. All of that biblical, but we, there's a culture that surrounds Christianity. And I can tell you something, young person. You grow up in a home where mommy and daddy require it, and it's kind of expected you to go to the altar. It's expected you to get baptized early. It's expected that you're going to get saved and that you're going to sing and you're going to do these things. But can I tell you, there is a danger that you can do that and go through all of it simply because you're caught up in the culture, simply because you had no choice to do otherwise. In other words, you go to church because that's what mommy and daddy does. You go pray because that's what everybody in the church does. You go and you, you come up with your confession of salvation because that's what's expected of you and you're baptized. But I want you to know something right now. It's got to be more than a culture. It's got to be more than a societal experience. You got to get something that's real in your heart. I submit to you, there is a danger here. You must first have a real experience with God. Oh, glory to the Lamb of God. Oh, we just think I've heard it a hundred times if I've heard it once. I raised my child in church and I don't know what happened to him. I'll tell you what happened with them. You were content if they simply met the outward standard and you had no concern for the condition of their heart. You saw the little times that that rebellious spirit would manifest. You saw it in the attitudes that when they go to dress and they begin to push the limits on the dress. They begin to buck a little bit at going to church. Come on. Yes. And you, you begin to see it as they grow older, those little signs, but you just take comfort that they're still in church. Thank God they're still in church. No, I'm telling you right now, but if they're lost, they're lost. I don't care how long they went to church. I don't care how many messages they've heard. I don't care how many trips to the altar they had. If Christ didn't reel in their heart, they're going to hell. Do you understand that? They're on their way to hell. You're 15 year old. You're 12 year old. And doesn't know Jesus Christ. And has heard the gospel message. And has felt the tug of the Holy Ghost. If they don't repent of their sin. If they die they're going straight to hell. We need to understand. This is something that's real. You got to do it. You got to have it. It's got to live in you. It's got to burn in your heart. Glory to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 That Holy Ghost you received, Son, is real. It isn't just for camp meeting, you understand. 
It isn't just for retreats. It's for when you're at home. And your mom and daddy said, Alex, you go do this. Right there when that flesh wants to do something else. Right there when you want to go another road. Holy Ghost, help me now. Holy Ghost, help me now. Yes, sir. That's what it's all about. You better know that you can pray and hear from God. I look back at my young days after I got saved. I'm ashamed and embarrassed of some things I did. And I've told my story before. But I can tell you, I can only go so far. I can only get out there so far to that world. And there was a tug in me. There was a rope that would pull me back. It wasn't because of my mom and my daddy. I had something in me that burned. I had something in me that was real. I knew what I got. I was there when I got it. Hallelujah. Glory! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! This Holy Ghost experience is essential to the gospel. Utterly essential to the gospel. Christ came to baptize us with the Holy Ghost. Go back there and read even the connection to the to the the uh, a feast, if you will, in Luke's gospel. He's the one that writes about it. And John said, he said he should come, and he talks about there's one that's coming after me. He said he is mightier than I, mightier than I. I'm not worthy to unloose, uh, to stoop down and unloose his shoes. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Oh yes, he said he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That's one crowd. And then he looks to another crowd and says, and with fire. Oh, yes. Then he goes to the next verse and said, he will gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff, he will burn up with unquenchable fire. He's coming for two baptisms. Right now, you can have a Holy Ghost baptism. That'll make you wheat. You can be first fruits. You can be Pentecost. You can be a part of the harvest and let him gather you into his barn. But if you don't want to be gathered in the barn and you want to be chaff, there's another baptism that's coming and it's a baptism of fire and it's going to burn up this world in the wrath of God Almighty. Mm. I'm watching you. I'm watching your sincerity. Don't you think you're fooling anybody? Mom and daddies, don't assume your children are saved. You watch them. And you concern yourself with one thing. Not just some outward conformity to the culture of the church. But an inward reality. You listen to me, children. There ought to be times that your mom and dad walk into your bedroom and find you on your knees. Is that all right? Is that okay? There'll be times when I got saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. I used to mill around about the middle of the church somewhere where I'd sit during the services, being ornery as a snake, just rotten. But the time I got saved me, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. That one night, I told you before, I became a front seat guy right there. Nobody told me to do it. Nobody moved me up there. There were times, I'm going to tell you, I told you about three or four weeks into my experience of being after being saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. I can remember, well, I'm going to tell you for some that hadn't heard it, if you have heard it, just bear with me. But I remember in that little place in St. George, West Virginia, I was over on this side of the church. The piano sat back in here behind me, and I was kneeling at that altar right there. And my daddy came over his altar call to pray for me. And I, I, and I looked at my daddy. He'd said nothing to me. He had said nothing to me. Nobody had forced me. 
Nobody coerced me. I said, Daddy, I'm concerned. I haven't spoken in tongues for a while. I haven't spoken in tongues for quite a while, and I'm worried about it, Daddy. I'm concerned. Will you pray? Oh, glory to the Lamb of God. I'm telling you, he laid his hands on me, and in just a moment, I felt that fire running up and down my bosom, and I gave him glory. I spoke in a heavenly language. I'm telling you right now, I didn't get it from my daddy. I didn't get it from my mama. I got it from the Holy Ghost baptizer, Jesus Christ the righteous. to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. If you can hide things from your parents and you're not bothered by it, you're a fake. I'm not telling you you won't wrestle with it. I'm just telling you, eventually something's got to happen. You're either going to go confess it or you're going to harden your heart. Glory to the Lamb of God. The ministry of Jesus is meant to continue. And it wasn't meant to continue through simply a message of orthodoxy and us just following a pattern. We were made a living organism. The living Holy Ghost dwells in us and fills us. And we do it the same way Jesus did it. By the power of the Spirit of God. He's not operating any different today than he did when he walked upon this earth. Oh, glory. We're his body and he is still functioning. And his body is still functioning on this earth in the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's the completion of the message. You've got to get there or you are incomplete in your walk. There's the kingdom element. The Lord's got 40 days. He raises from the dead. He will do no miracle for the crowd to see. He will do a miracle at the sea with the casting of the net and the fish that will come. Have fish there prepared. But nothing in the public eye. He now concentrates on his disciples. For 40 days, the Bible says, he proves to them that he is not some spirit just walking around who appears to be who he says he is. He invites them. Come here. Put your hand right there. Touch that. That's flesh and bone. Can you feel the rib? You feel where that spear went between the ribs? Can you feel that? That's real bone, okay? You got a real hand, right? You're feeling that. Come on, I want you to take my hand. Come on, put it right there. Feel that. Can you feel those scars right there, son? How about it, Thomas? You want to put your hand there? I'm real. Yeah, you hear my voice? I'm real. Glory to God. You want to see me eat? I'll eat. Come on, you got some fish? Sit down and have a meal right here. And then drink proof after proof after proof after proof. He laid it on them. Let me tell you, by the day Pentecost arrived, there isn't one doubt in their mind. There isn't one question. There isn't one iota or flicker of a doubt in their heart. They know this. They serve a risen Lord. They know this. He's not an apparition. He's not a figment of their imagination. He has overcome their doubts. He has proved his existence. He is real. He is real. He lives and he's Lord. You got 40 days. What do you talk about? The Bible said he spoke to them things concerning the kingdom of God. Things concerning the kingdom of God. What do you talk about? I, 
things concerning the kingdom of God. They're in conversation. We only get a few little glimpses. One of those, he tells them, Peter, go feed my lambs. Focuses on him. But he spoke to all of them. Things about his kingdom. We've divorced this message. First of all, from the gospel. But second of all, we Pentecostal people have forgotten what it is too. The day you got saved, God brought you in a kingdom. The sign of that kingdom, the earmark of that kingdom is not so much going to be forgiveness. The earmark that the kingdom has come is not going to be so much that a sacrifice has been made. That's going to be necessary. But the real earmark of that kingdom and evidence and sign that becomes visible to all the world that the Lord has come and that the kingdom has come is the outpouring of the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. It's when the desert begins to blossom again. It's when the dry ground receives moisture and the seed comes up. It's when God looks on that wilderness and is, and is broken down that has become a place of desolation, a place of death and dearth, a place in which men are almost walking about like zombies, living in the shadow of death, having no light there. Oh, light is going to spring up to them and he's going to take and pour his Holy Ghost on them and they're going to walk in the power of the Spirit of the living God because now we're in the kingdom where God makes us his subjects and we live in his power. I just want to emphasize two things quickly. Number one, the idea of lawfulness. The kingdom has rules, has ethics. This becomes an emphasis of the spirit-filled life. Paul emphasizes it. In Romans chapter 8, he says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. There's no way you can study the life of Christ and see him as being soft on sin. He didn't sanction prostitutes, he delivered them. He didn't put his arm around the publican and say, is it okay? He called him to repentance. If you've got a perspective of Jesus that his compassion overcomes his holiness, you got a wrong perspective. He may spend time with sinners, but it's not to be one of them. It's to transform them. He may be a friend of publicans, but it is not that he can joke around and be their buddy-buddy and join the club. It's so he can illuminate the way out of their darkness and to walk where he walks. He is not. He condemned sin in the flesh. Oh, yes. He come to do what the law couldn't do. The law can condemn you, but it can't help you out. The law can put you in the grave, but it can't resurrect you under life. And Jesus came. He came first to bury you by showing you your wrong. But he came not just to bury you. He came to lift you out. He went on to say, oh, yes. He said, but the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in them who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We Pentecostals are going to be people of compassion. But we are not going to excuse sin. The Pentecostal experience is not there for you to overlook sin, to let you have just an entertainment experience in the church house. No, that Pentecostal experience comes to you so you can walk in the Spirit. 
He baptizes you in the Spirit so you can walk in the Spirit. So that you can let your life be directed and you live in that atmosphere where the Holy Ghost is present uh, where the Holy Ghost influences come on now I'm telling you we've got enough uh, look I'm not trying to push anybody down here there's no one of us in the room that hadn't experienced a failure there's no one of us in the room uh, that hadn't at some time turned to the right or the left uh, there's no one of us in the room uh, that hadn't at some time broke a promise uh, or did something we vowed we'd never do uh, yeah that's probably happened to us uh, but let's not make that our practice Let's not make that our habit. Let's not back up and say, well, that's just the way it is. And we're going to live with it because everybody else doesn't. No, sir, we're not. We're going to condemn it like Jesus did. And we're going to reach up and say, God, sanctify me and fill me with the Holy Ghost again. And let me live in the power of the Spirit so I do not fulfill the passions of my body. Pentecostal people have got the power to remove the app from their cell phone. Pentecostal people have got the power to shut off the television. Pentecostal people know when to turn the knob on the radio. Pentecostal people know when they've talked enough. Pentecostal people know when it's time to hush and clamor down and ask God for help. We're not living in a broken down, impoverished kingdom. We're living in the kingdom of God Almighty. Hallelujah. And we're a subject of the king, and he expects us to be law-abiding citizens. I'm just going to... You're going to have to bear with me right here. Brother Woods loves you. Let's get real with it, okay? Tell you what's happening. We come to church. It looks like our marriages are okay. There's a little peck on the cheek. There's a little squeeze in the aisle. And Mama looks so meek. And Papa... So in control. But in the home, you can go 10 days and can't even get a clammy kiss. The marriage bed is cold. The hearts are cold. And we're living a show. Come on now. We're submissive in the public eye. And no disobedient in the private room. Come on. And we manipulate through our spirituality. We manipulate through our physical ability or our physical uh, beauty. Hello. And you look at the man and sometimes he comes in and you can see the brow beating across his eye. Somebody say amen in this house. Come on. The truth is known. You and your wife don't know how to show affection anymore. You talk more in the church house than you do in your own house. And you had not sit down and had a good meal at the table with your family where you can just share with one another. You've got more fellowship around that table in that fellowship hall than you do in your own house. I'm going to tell you the Holy Ghost is not here to entertain you. He's not just a church house experience. Glory to the Lamb of God. We're not subjects just in this place. We're subjects wherever we go and somewhere. Our houses need to become again an example of the love of God being poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost so that we're real wherever we're at we're real praise go into the Lamb of God you come to church and you can sing you can go through the motions you know how to make it look good 
I preached to those young people a while ago. How about let me talk to the adults a little bit? Hey, come on now. I'm talking about we're in a kingdom. We're in a kingdom. We got an enemy out there. We got one out there that wants to draw us away. Yes, sir. How many times have you got up in your song, been in a performance? How many times have you laid your hand on that instrument and there was nothing more than a performance? It was a display of talent. There wasn't an ounce of unction. How many times did you hit that altar and there was just a moment of drudgery so you could make it look good and go back to your pew, but there was no heart? For God Almighty, I'm here to tell you something. The Holy Ghost makes the law of God come alive. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. And I'm living for Jesus Christ. Why don't you belly up right now and just make a decision this morning. I will not be a hypocrite again. If I'm dead, then I'm going to just be dead and I'm going to pray to the altar and I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to say, revive me again. Revive me again. Revive me again. Revive me again. Revive me again until I can live in the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to pretend about my marriage. Me and my wife go off and talk. And I'm going to apologize to her for my deadness, for my lack of spirituality, for my lack of leadership. Glory to the Lamb of God. And I'm going to let her know by God's grace I'm going to love her. And I'm going to do my best to love her. And when I fail, she's going to be the first to know. Glory to the Lamb of God. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm telling you, this thing is real. God doesn't have hypocrites in his kingdom. He's got law-abiding citizens who are living in the power of the Holy Ghost. We don't need to give ourselves to the junk of this world. Let's be noble. Let's be men of integrity. Let's rise above it. I do not mean I do not mean to shame anybody. I do not mean to call any sin to mind. It's not my purpose. I've had failures in my life. We all have. But when I preach and name your past sin and failure, it's not for you to soak and say, he's embarrassed me. I didn't embarrass anybody. Uh -uh. We got so soft on it that we can't call it out because we're going to touch somebody. We're going to call to mind some past sin. You ought to be the first one to stand up and say, preach it, brother. Preach it. You see them young folks up there? They need to know they don't have to fail. They need to know they don't have to give in. They need to know that they can have a cell phone and not be addicted. They need to know that they can govern their heart, that they can govern it. They need to know that we are not expecting them to go down and to become in bondage. We're expecting them to rise above the world and live in the whole of God. You may have yielded to the temptation. Thank God you found restoration. Thank God he's a redeemer and a pardoner. But it's the same time that you yielded. There's been another brother over here who's been fighting with everything he's got and he hadn't given in yet. Come on now. He hadn't let up. He's been facing the fire. He's been facing the furnace and he needs some encouragement. He needs to know he can make it. He needs to know he can live it. He needs to know he can walk in the Holy Ghost and live the kingdom experience.